Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we're doing the end of year review. The bet. Oh, there we go. Cheers, mate. <laughs> that was a strong cheers. <laughs> very strong cheers. So, this is called the best of 2018, uh, but keep in mind, it's just the first half of season three. So, it's from uh, July 1st onwards. So, from our juggernaut month for the six months up till now, we're going to talk about uh, firstly, a few announcements, followed by listener questions that we asked for submissions for, followed by the listener favorites that you guys voted for, followed by our own individual collective top tens of our top ten favorite books for the year. Yeah, so we're having a, a couple of drinks to celebrate the end of the year. Uh, we've had a little fun. We're only three drinks in, which is good because uh, 12 months ago, Matt, we got sloppy on this episode, so yeah. we apologize for that. This will be... A, a little more tame. Mate, we should pull that one down. <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing almost. Just got too crashed. There's too a, lot rude. Of, a lot of swear words in there. A lot there. of swear words. But uh, yeah, today we're going to try and do it a little bit better and hopefully it doesn't get too uh, too odd toward the end of the episode. So as you said, man, we've got a few announcements uh, to kick it off. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> we're, we're redoing the top 50. Yeah. Now, so, we did the, uh, the, the top 50 for the first time at the start of this year. Man, there's been... A big season of books so far, so I think there has been a lot of changes in there. Uh, yeah, even the few of the top ten have fully dropped out, even in the top fifty. That's mate, it's, it's going to be big. We've we've already sort of gone through it a little bit. Twelve months ago, we did our first top fifty. We've read another fifty books since then. I reckon there's probably going to be twenty ins and twenty outs. Mm. So uh, yeah, we're redoing that. So in probably the next uh, month or two, you'll uh, be able to grab our updated top fifty best books of all time. Another announcement is we're making a bit of a pivot when it comes to the book club, which we announced a few months ago. Yeah, we're initially uh, having a physical book club in terms of we'd send the books out uh, every single month, like the best book of the month, and then have a group discussion. But for a whole bunch of reasons, just wasn't quite working out. We probably didn't do it properly. We didn't do it justice uh, for, you know, everyone's all across the world, different time zones, and it was just too hard. Hard to get the Facebook uh, lives and so forth but you know for us it was it's still very early days for us so this was kind of a bit of an mvp we're still trialing a few things with uh, all the listeners and seeing what you guys want the most so you know any feedback we get there uh it'll be useful to see what else what other kind of stuff we do with the podcast Mm, so the pivot we're going towards just a free open online discussion forum so we've uh about six weeks ago we had a few uh innovators jump in using a crossing the chasm reference there we've had about 15 or 18 people in there each week put up one prompt sort of like one question off the back of the book and we all throw in our respective ideas so you don't have to read the book but if you listen to the episode share your ideas and uh, if you want to jump in on that it's free head to bookclub.whatyouwillearn.com so book club instead of www and you can sign up for free and jump in the chat there and i've noticed man you've been taking your vulnerability armor off there and just letting you <laughs> yourself vulnerable to, to attack if anyone's end of your sevasto uh <laughs> this is the place to go to attack him could be a few hard, few few truths in there that a you don't hear in the potty in absolutely and <clears throat> so as i said man we're still trying a few things at the start of the season for example we rated every book but you know we only did three or four episodes before we dropped that as well yeah we do our 25 30 minute episode and then sort of a two minute discussion at the end as a bit of a meta discussion of the book as to what we thought and what we rated it we're still doing our ratings for every single book on the website what slash book out of 10 we give every book but we're not including our um our subjective thoughts at the end of the episode yeah not as much maybe we'll get a, a little bit of a spiel but sometimes there's a 
books are objectively really good, but maybe not the best for us in that whatever part of our lives we're in now. But definitely there would be listeners out there who would get a lot from the book. So if we just, you know, if it's not right for us and we just pull the book down and tear it to pieces, then the person out there who it is for and it does resonate with, they're probably not going to go and buy the book. I mean, one that comes straight to mind is I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Mm. We both thought that was a piece of shit book. It was probably the last one we did the rating on. Yeah, because we both think, just I think you it gave apart. it a two and I gave it a four. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we thought this is... Because as you say, man, some people at the, in the right time could really read that book, make a few small it. changes and it could li- literally be tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the, over the course of your life that you, that you save. So, yeah, we don't want to ruin it for all you guys after we are. We objectively take the best bits out of the best mm. books. That's our job. And then if it resonates, then you go and get it. And that's what we think yeah. our role is. Yeah, exactly. We don't want to give you the best bits and then turn around and then say put it's a, a bit two of shit out of ten. On it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. So, that's a few of the little housekeeping matters. Um, we're rambling on a bit already, I think, but that's that's the nature of this episode, yeah, how it goes. But uh, we're, we're trialing for the first time a Q&A uh, discussion. So, we put out, a, you know, about four to five weeks ago, uh, the call for people to bring in some questions. We got a whole bunch of really good questions, uh, so much so that it's probably a bit too much to just put it all into this one episode. So, we're going to have a standalone episode Q&A uh, early in the new year. So, go ahead and uh, submit your questions to us and you'll most likely get on the episode. Yeah, exactly. We thought we'd put it, we'd combine a Q&A with our top 10, but we got a whole bunch of great questions. So, we're going to do two or three questions in this episode. If you've got another question, submit it at whatyouwillearn.com slash question, either type it or you can record your voice as you'll hear coming up soon and we're going to do a full standalone, you know, we're going to, we've got about 10 questions to go through and we really enjoyed it but uh, we didn't want to break the promise. We want to get a couple of questions into this episode and we've got some great ones. So, we'll kick it off right now. Let's kick it off with Tim from the UK. Big Tim. Hey, Adam and Adam, this is Tim here from the UK. Really enjoy your guys' show. I'm interested in the techniques and strategies you guys use as you work through so many books at such a good pace, stuff like speed reading, note-taking, annotating the pages. My question is, as you've been doing the show for a few years now, what are the best book reading strategies that you've learned? And especially, which of those strategies are ones that you wish you'd been better at from the start? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. For me to answer this question, I'll talk about the full week of reading. So, reading the book through to making the episode. So, I, as I'm reading, I've got a pencil in my hand and I'm highlighting as I go as in with the pencil. I'm putting boxes around sections. I'm putting little squiggles on the side. Uh, and then at the end of the week, when I go back to make the notes, I'll flick through the book from start to finish looking for those highlighted sections either as you know specific one-sentence quotes or as topics to then flesh out. So, that's sort of my... To answer the first part of that question, that's how I'm reading and taking notes as I go. So, I've got something similar. So, first, yeah, put all the notes in as you're reading. So, you're actively reading it. You're looking for things that interest you the most. So, I'd say that's like, you know, 20 to 25% retention. Then after that, once you go through the book again and then I'll start writing all the notes down on one note. So, again, you're just having another layer of retention, uh, which is one of the first reasons we started to do this podcast in the first place. It was, you know, originally like a note-taking uh, you know, on steroids kind of thing because you also speak about the notes after you've done it. So, that's another layer of retention. Um, so, in terms of speed reading, I don't think, well, I personally don't have any tactics with that. It's just all about just, you know, trying to 
scheduling the time and have the certain kind of habits. So for me, every morning it's uh, having that 45 minutes with a coffee. It's not reading on the tram to work and on the tram home. So I'm getting about an hour and a half in a day uh, reading, which allows us to knock out a lot of books. Yeah, took the words right out of my, uh, right out of my mouth, mate. Mate, you seem bringing back the song. <laughs> <laughs> we should definitely bring back the song. But uh, I agree with um, what you said, man. I'm not reading fast. I think I'm just reading a lot. I'm definitely having read, you know, nearly 200 books now. I'm reading faster than when I first started, but I'm not speed reading per se. In terms of what I wish I knew at the start and even now what I wish I did more is take notes for each chapter. Sometimes I do it for some books, like if they're super hard books, like say like Persuasion, I did it, Black Swan, I did it, um, is if at the start of each chapter as I'm reading, I should flick back to the start of the chapter and just make it two or three words as to the, the main topic. So it might be narrative fallacy. So that it just helps with the flick through rather than flicking through a 300-page book trying to find my highlights. That's so good, that's man. I might, I might I take I that more. one. I haven't yeah. really heard about that one. That's good. Now, the next question is from an anonymous source who obviously doesn't want us to come after him after they have the question. But the question was actually not a bad question. It was, is Blinkist a good or bad invention? I think reading summaries doesn't give the full picture from the book. Now, Blinkist is a, a service. I don't use it myself, but it's yeah. something which just gives out a whole bunch of book summaries similar to us, but in the written form uh, for you know a small fee per month. Yeah, I think it's like 15 minutes. You can do audio as well. I also have personally never used it. There's thing, similar things like Blinkist does it. I know there's a thing called InstaRead um, that does it. There's also a, a one called Story Shots, which is a new app. Uh, similar sorts of things in terms of their book summaries, mostly written a bit of audio as well. Uh, I, I suppose it's probably similar to this podcast. Absolutely. So, I reckon that the, the thing it doesn't have going for it is very similar to the thing we don't have going for us and all kind of book review uh, services and that is, I think it comes down to the narrative fallacy. So, when you read a book, inevitably, whoever's reading it, you've got some kind of bias to it and you're going to subconsciously leave out a whole bunch of information that doesn't suit us personally. So, when we review a book down into 30 minutes, there's a whole bunch of shit that we leave out, mm. um, mainly due, due to our own biases. And I think this is really unavoidable to uh, everyone who does it. So, I think overall, it's a very good thing to do, whether you're someone who likes to read or listen. Uh, I think it's good to get the summaries and then maybe go out and find more for yourself. Yeah, I think that's it's probably the way you use it. If you use it and you're just using... if I think it's probably even worse. If you think you read the 15-minute summary and you think, oh, I know everything about that book and then you've got that almost that perceived knowledge of thinking you know more than you actually do, that's probably a bad thing. That said, I think doing Blinkist or InstaRead or Story Shots is better than doing nothing. I think reading a full book is probably better than doing any of those, but maybe you can use it as a bit of a source. Mate, one other personal thing that I hate, I hate it if someone says, oh, I just read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and it turns out they just read the book summary. That, <laughs> that pisses me off. Or even, never, if, man, even if they just if they listen to the audio book and say, I read the book. No, they didn't. That pisses me off. Oh, <laughs> I've never heard someone do that. You're kidding me? Yeah. Oh, mate, definitely people claim the audio book is reading yeah. the book. I, I used to do something similar. I used to be a uh, claim to go for a surf. When I was actually just boogie boarding. <laughs> yeah, my, my ex-girlfriend caught me out. I was trying to impress her dad who was a surfer. And it was telling me I was going down for some waves down at Torquay Way. Oh, I love anyway, it. Anyway, I eventually learned to surf and it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what so we got away from it. The next question, an audio question, Matt from California. Hi, guys. This is Matt from California. Thanks for all your work. 
I was curious if you've uh, implemented anything from the mindless eating book. I know it's only been about a month or so, but I'm curious if you did any of the things that they suggested and how that's going on your 10 kilos. Thank you. Some credit goes to Matt from California. I was going back through our emails. Matt actually suggested about three months ago that we should do a Q&A episode. So, um, Matt, you're Nostradamus. <laughs> it's either a really, uh, we can either thank Matt or we can blame Matt. I think you planted, <laughs> you really did plant a seed, yeah, I think. Matt's a, I think he's a third grade teacher in California and he's written a couple of kids' books as well. Oh, superstar. So, Matt, what about what mindless eating? Again? Mindless oh, eating. Yeah, mindless. Jesus. Um, I guess for the 10 kilos part, that's a directed to me because I was the one who put on 10 kilos this year quite rapidly. (laughs) But I think with a lot of these books, uh, you know, if you take out one thing and make one change and it's absolutely worth it, for me, I made one change, something I wasn't previously conscious of and that was each week I'd go out and buy about a kilo, sorry, that's overstating, about half a kilo of almonds and they'll just be sitting at my desk and all day I'll just pick at it and pick at it and mindlessly, mindlessly eat. And retrospectively, looking back at it, I was probably eating, man, you know, a kilo of almonds a week at least. So, one thing I've done is just basically cut that out. And I think in terms of, you know, an 80-20 kind of look at it, I feel like that was at least 80% of my unneeded kilojoules throughout the day. So, let's wait and see what happens. Yeah, for sure. I um, Another thing I liked in Matt's question was he um, calculated the time between the mindless eating episode and the time of this episode, even though he asked the question a week later, he made it a month. So, I like that. Good from Matt. My my mindless eating thing that I did was started bringing lunch to work. So, I used to buy lunch every single day. Not only is that a probably a poor financial decision, also in either mindless eating or Brian Wansink's other book, Slim by Design, he talks about how if you pack lunch either the night before or after dinner or in the morning after breakfast, you're making your lunch when you're not hungry. Whereas, when you're about to go and buy lunch, you're starving. So, you're probably going to buy more food. You're going to buy food that's worse for you. Um, so, packing the lunch and bringing it is not only saving 15 bucks a day, it's also probably a, a healthier way to do it. Mate, one thing that I just realized neither of us are doing, we've got short, wide glasses drinking our fourth glass of alcohol. <laughs> I mean, we're overpouring the alcohol. <laughs> so, that's not mindless eating. And on top of that, I'm using Diet Coke with our alcohol. So, a bit of a health halo there. <laughs> just to wash Coke, down our, our chicken parmer from earlier <laughs> as well. So. Uh, yeah, so we're doing a few things <laughs> good with mindlessly eating, but we've still got a few flaws as well. Fuck it. So, again, so there was a couple of questions. We're going to do a full question episode when we're fully sober um, with about eight or ten other questions. If you, your question didn't get answered just now, in a couple of days, we're going to do a full standalone Q&A episode. If you've got a question for us, whatyouwillearn.com slash question and record us a question. Mm. All right, now, so we're going to go into our listener favorites. So, we pumped out the email. Uh, a month ago to our email list and we heard from all you guys what were your favorite books that were reviewed, reviewed this year before we get into our own ones. So, from 10 to 1, okay, number 10 was Contagious. Number 9 was Poke the Box. Number 8 was Awaken the Giant Within. Number 7 was The Tao Te Ching. Number 6 was Outliers. Number 5 was 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Number 4 was Persuasion. Number 3 was Deep Work. Number two was The Laws of Human Nature. And the number one favorite book, as voted by the listeners, was The Happiness Equation. Very interesting, man. Interesting feedback that everyone loved The Happiness Equation. I think it was a really good book. There were some interesting takeaways from it. Uh, 
what the whole book's really about is, you know, everyone out there has this equation in their head that great work equals big success. And then once they're successful, they be happy. And it might be you study hard, you get your job, and then you're happy. You work overtime, you get promoted, and then you're happy. So, in all these kind of states, that the 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 um the most typical state of being is that happiness is somewhere around the corner when you actually finally achieve some kind of goal or something. Mm, but that model is completely broken because normally what happens is what we do is we do work hard, big success. And then rather than get to that third stage of be happy, we just go back to work hard. We set a new goal, we set a new target, and then we go back again. So maybe we work overtime, we get promoted, and then we think, oh, I want to get the next promotion. So we go back to working hard. You never actually get to the be happy stage. So in order to tie that one off, he says that rather than going great work, big success, be happy, we need to put that happiness first. So he says, shift that to the start, be happy first, choose to be happy first, and generally that Happiness will lead to better work, which will lead to bigger success. So, rather than putting happy last, put happy first. For some reason, I think a lot of people think they need to sacrifice their happiness now to actually find a way to be successful. Mm. But he also states in the book that if you're actually happy as you work, you're going to be actually be more effective mm. and have a better chance of getting successful in the first place. So, you've got every reason to be happy all along the way from the very start. Bang on. That was the first thing in the book. What else did you like from the book? You had so nine there was, things. There was about uh, eight or nine different points he makes yeah, throughout nine, the yep. book. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you're too much of a fucking perfectionist. <laughs> number eight. So one of them was um, point number three, and this was remember the lottery. And it's this idea that we've actually won the lottery probably multiple times mm. over every single person out there uh, for a few reasons. Number one, you're on a planet with seven billion people in the world right now. If you add up all the different people throughout history, uh, you know, there'll be over 100 billion people who are dead. So, mm. you're lucky in that regard. You're lucky from a scientific regard. So, all the scientific forces, um, the anthropic principle, of everything being perfectly designed for you to be here. And uh, through evolution, if one of those ancestors all along the line, your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather, if they had one extra drink before they got up to um, have sex with the partner then you probably wouldn't be here either because each one of those along the line had about a million sperm each and there was that one out of a million sperm that made it through about a thousand generations. There's a whole bunch of lotteries that you've won uh, a thousand times over. So, it's something good to remember and a good reason to be happy all the time. Yeah, exactly. Don't think how tough it is. Think that how rare it is. Extremely, 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 extremely rare for you to even be here in the first place. So, that's a good thing to remember. When you think your life's pretty tough, remember that you're pretty lucky to be alive. You're pretty lucky not to be dead. You're pretty lucky to be where you are, you know, to have access to, you know, listening to podcasts. It means you're pretty lucky as well. Absolutely, man. You, everyone listening to this, in, especially in the developed world, uh, you're probably within the 1%. So, that 1% everyone gets pissed off about. Most people are probably in that 1% on a global yeah. kind of scale. So, that's a good book, man. Look yeah, back book. on it. It's a bloody good book. It is. Didn't make either of our top tens. Didn't it? it? Oh, I didn't either, did it? No shit. The listeners number one didn't even crack our top ten. Okay. All right. So let's get into our top ten. Uh, we 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 decided to remove two books from these uh, top ten rankings: Forty Eight Laws of Power and Rich Dad Poor Dad, because we did them back in season one, and we thought, you know what, we're not going to double dip. We're not going to get them in the top ten. I think Power would have got in my top five, but. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad might have snuck in the back end of the top 10. Yeah, I'd be very similar yeah. with that. So, we're going to probably bring in old books every now and then throughout the seasons to come as well. So, that's a new rule we kind of just like um, bringing into our top 10s. Okay, so number 10 for me for this se- uh, so far this season 
was getting to yes. Nice. It wouldn't have been in my. It's not in my top ten. It would have been an honorable mention, like a eleven, twelve, thirteen. But I thought it was a bloody good book, man. It was a good way to look at negotiation, not being principal, uh, not being positional bargaining, but instead being principled negotiation. I think it's really valuable to read at least one negotiation book. It's something that's got a very direct ROI. If you've got some of these skills in your tool belt, next time you need to negotiate a pay rise, who knows, you might get that extra five grand or something like that. So definitely worth it. And the whole idea of being a principal negotiator, which you were just talking about, it comes down to four different steps and all of them have a lot of gold within it. And number one was separate the people from the positions. So people have egos. Think about their uh, position and not attack the person. Yeah, exactly. Number two was focusing on interests, not positions. So whenever someone makes a statement, this is what I want, realize that maybe that's not exactly what they want, but you need to think behind that. What's the interest behind that that they actually want not what they're telling you they want and you know but we don't want to just dig into i've got this position you've got that position let's meet in the middle we're looking to get a much better negotiation so in order to do that find the interest behind the position and linked on to that is number three inventing options for mutual grain so if you understand the other party's interests they understand your interests you can actually find a solution where you're growing the actual pie and then you both end up better off than where you are because you have uh, these kind of, uh, you know, through peripheral kind of interests that normally wouldn't come into the negotiation. Yeah, exactly. So, rather than just cutting that pie up, grow it first or like the story that they told, you know, two kids were fighting over an orange, they ended up getting half each. One kid ate the fruit and threw away the skin. The other kid used the skin to make a cake and threw away the fruit. They both could have had 100% of what they wanted. So, think about the interests and then invent options where you can both be a real win-win situation and the point number four was insisting on using objective criteria so if you're thinking about going for a pay rise or something like that go and find some objective criteria so you know some industry standards what they're paying or something like that that way you can take it away from the person versus person a little bit more using something objective that's outside of that negotiation spectrum and on top of that you probably cherry pick what Objective yeah. <laughs> criteria you can use. Yeah, nice. You can subjectively pick those, that objective criteria. I like it. Yeah. My number 10 uh, is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Not in your top 10, mate, but it's a, it's a pretty simple message in that we all face obstacles and problems in it. every day. They come in all different shapes and sizes. One option is to turn away from it and avoid it, but if we do that, we're never going to get to where we want. Instead, confront the obstacle, overcome the obstacle, not only do we win this time around, we're also going to be better the next time we face an obstacle and more likely to overcome the next one in future. Both perceptions lead to completely different routes. If someone gets some kind of challenge in front of them, say you've got two people, compare the pair. Yeah. Think of the Australian Super <laughs> Ad com- commercial. Compare the pair, Brad and John. <laughs> so, Brad, he doesn't think the obstacle is the way. He gets the obstacle and he tr- tr- kind of tries to avoid it. Yeah. Whereas John... He looks at the obstacle and sees it as a as a challenge and he'll actually grow because of the obstacle and face the obstacle head on. Both perceptions lead to completely different routes in the long term over the decade kind of decade kind of horizon. If you're someone who looks at every kind of challenge that comes up as an opportunity, then you're really going to uh, you know grow a lot more than someone else. Yeah, bang on, mate. I thought it was a I thought it was a solid book. It wasn't an, an amazing book by any means. It was a there was a one message that was reiterated a few times, but I think it's a pretty important message, man. Yeah. The book is just basically the obstacle is the way. 
It's one sentence it's reiterated <laughs> for three, 200 pages. <laughs> Mate, my number nine comes later in your list. Your number nine comes later in my list. Same with number eight. So, we're going to skip down to number... Our lists were extremely different this year. Yeah, we they were. one in common. Uh, your number seven, mate. My number seven is Deep Work by Cal Newport. And what he says is the ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at exactly the same time it is becoming increasingly valuable in our economy. So, the idea of deep work is getting really down and really maximizing your whole intensity of focus on the task. If you think something the opposite, which is shallow work, that is checking your email 20 times an hour whilst you're doing a task. You can't really get deep where you are and actually focus on it because higher quality work is an equation of intensity of deep, deep focus on the task multiplied by time spent. So, if you're doing something valuable, uh, you can either up the, in- the intensity focus or time spent. Yeah, exactly. Intensity is um, obviously the one that you control can control more of. His first book or his first major book, I guess, So Good They Can't Ignore You, talked about developing rare and valuable skills and this book ties into the in the sense that in order to develop those rare and valuable skills you need to go deep you can't just do shallow work and develop those skills you need to go deep now i didn't really love the book i thought it was a a lot of fluff for a few key messages it could have been a lot shorter but that said uh did have a big impact mate deleted uh, facebook off the phone deleted instagram off the phone deleted linkedin off the phone Saved me a hell of a lot of time of scrolling the news feeds. Man, that's a fucking that's a huge book for you, man. That's a big change. We measure books completely differently because if man, there's a, actually we got a question coming up. Patrick from Germany, he asked, "How do you rate your book?" So that there's a teaser for in a, th- in a couple of days' time that we'll, we'll thrash that one out. Mate, we'll slog it out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll fucking we'll go for it. <laughs> but yeah, solid book, deep work. He's got a brand new book coming out as well uh, in February next year. So we're going to we'll, speak to him. Yeah, big cow, mate. My number seven. And after this, we need to top up these glasses. But my number seven was Contagious by Jonah Berger. And he starts off by saying that, you know, why do some ideas or behaviors or products catch on? You know, we might think it's because they're just playing better. We might think it's because they're cheaper. We might think because they got really good advertising. But really, none of those are the real key reason. He says the key reason is social transmission. It's word of mouth. It's something going viral, spreading from person to person. And so, the book talked about the six factors that go into a product or an idea or behavior that make something catch on, that make something viral, that make something spread from person to person. Yeah, it's absolutely extremely valuable if some if you understand how or why some things generate word of mouth. The biggest takeaway for me was I think the first principle out of those six, which was social currency. So it's this idea that, you know, say for an example, if you want people to share something that you've posted on LinkedIn or something, they're not going to share it necessarily because just because of the great content, they're going to share it just because how they look mm. to everybody else. Like, what social currency do they get by sharing this piece of content? Yeah, I think anything that people say, you can drill down and they're trying to make themselves look good. If it's like on a Monday morning, oh, I got so smashed on Friday night, even though that doesn't sound good, what they're implying is I've got lots of friends and I've got enough money to go and splurge on a Friday night at the bar. So, like, whatever you people are saying, there's really deep down behind that, they're just making themselves look good. So, by us sharing, you know, the, the hottest new product that we've just discovered, that makes us look good. Or if we talk about something, you know, the best book, um, it's because we think, oh, we read this book first, you're going to learn something from it, it makes us look good. So, people talk about things that make them look good. So, if you've got a new product, try to work out what's that inner remarkability built into your product that makes people talk about it. Very interesting. Number six for me was Hero with 1,000 Faces by Joseph Campbell. 
doesn't get into my top 10. Wouldn't even get into my top 20 of this season, I don't think. But take it away, mate. <laughs> mate, like we were saying, man, we got subjectively, we, you know, some people might love this book. Yeah. I guess you're, um, <laughs> as mentioned earlier with Deep Work, when a book really has some big mate, impact we'll, on people. Hey, let's save this, we'll save when, this for next when, time. A little, little fucking prelude. Um, when a book has a big impact on you or impactful, then it doesn't really get into your top. Just because you got something to do I'll with just, I'll just the Harry, my the Harry Potter effect, <laughs> where you need something to be interesting, a bit of Harry Potter, and can someone, Ron and Hermione. <laughs> can someone put in a question? What is the Harry Potter effect? Because we need to <laughs> we need to slog that one out as well. Because we both got very different definitions. All right, here Hero. are the thousand faces. <laughs> so this book is all about the hero's journey, and this journey with the nucleus of the story being the departure. So someone going out for an adventure uh, due to some kind of call to action. Then an initiation, so some kind of adventures along the way and return. So it's returning home with the knowledge and the power you achieved along the way. So, you know, one archetypal ex- example would be something like going out there, finding some kind of dragon to slay, getting the pot of gold, and then going back to where you started from, where you've, where you've grown and so forth. So this simple nucleus is, a, is the structure of stories that go from Star Wars to Lord of the Rings to, uh, you know, Christianity to Buddhism and so forth. So the book isn't necessarily about those stories. It's more about every single individual person, about you finding what is your hero's journey, what is your dragon to go out there and go on an adventure, what is your um, call call to adventure and so forth. And for everyone else, it might be something different. It might be going out to find a bigger job or a better job. It might be going out to public speaking or whatever. Everyone has got a different kind of dragon that they can go and slay and get pot of gold. And this is what this whole book's about. Very nice, mate. I don't think I can even uh, add too much more. I think you just summarized it very nicely. Yeah, really. It's a really good book, man. It's a good quote here. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Oh, yeah, that's a good quote. So, the, the, the dragon Ooh, with the highest ROI is probably the one that you're most scared of. Yeah, I like it. Good one, mate. Good bang to finish that one off. Mate, my number six is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And the war of art is saying that in any endeavor that you want to do, whether it's writing, painting, music, film, dance, but also if it's you know launching an entrepreneurial venture or starting a new diet or trying to get fit in the gym, any new uh, adventure you go on, man, I'm using your bloody hero's journey words, any new endeavor you want to try to try, try to start. Call it adventure. <laughs> Keep going. <It's> a, <laughs> you're going to face resistance. So, you're going to- <laughs> Keep going, mate. <laughs> you're going to face resistance and then at the end, you're going to get there and bring back the pot of gold. Pot of gold, baby. <laughs> Hero's journey. <laughs> so, anyway, so we're going to face the resistance and generally, the resistance is is standing in the way but really, the resistance is what we need to do to get it. It's almost a bit of obstacles away as well, isn't it? Mm. But saying that, you know, the resistance is trying to stop us whether we're, we sit down to write our book and then we think, oh, I just need to quickly go and wash the dishes. That's the resistance making its way through by procrastination. So, the resistance pops up in our life to stop us from doing this thing. I like the idea that both of us have two lives and number one is the life that we live now and then the second life is the unlived life, he says. So, it's kind of like your potential. So, the difference between you where you are now and your current life to what your potential might be, it is this resistance. So, this book is 
it's it's kind of a strategy book of how to defeat the resistance mm. and make some go out there and make some great art. Yeah, the first third of the book was all about defining the resistance, and then the second third was about defeating it. And you defeat it by turning pro. So what you need to do is you got to go there, you got to show up every day as if you're a professional. It's like work. Every day you got to work, whether you want to or not. The resistance doesn't get in the way of your work, so you need to you know treat whatever this new calling is as your work and become a pro. So, mate, you mentioned two books there. Uh, cut back to the – so, book one resist, was resistance. Book two was combating resistance. Book three, we haven't even mentioned. So, this is a good example of the narrative fallacy. Yeah, we skipped that Because the third part of the book we skipped entirely. It went into the very spiritual realm. Mm. And again, this is probably something that will resonate with some listeners out there. But it's a good example of the – the uh, narrative fallacy that we inevitably have to fall into yeah, when we the, summarize books. Yeah, the summary doesn't give you the full job. We we pick the best two out of the three, but that's that's how we do it. We can't just do every you know pay, cover to cover of every single book. So number five for me comes later. Number five for you, mate. Poke the box. Poke the box. Sounds by, sexual, doesn't it? It does. Poke the box. But it's uh, by Seth Godin, and he says that you know imagine a world that has no middlemen, no publishers, no bosses, no HR folk, no one telling you what you can and can't do. If you lived in that world, what would you do? And go and do that. So, we're saying it's all about initiation. So, it's about not following the status quo. It's about starting something. It's about doing something different and it's about taking a bit of action and, you know, initiate, poke that box. Absolutely. Just trying stuff. If you think of a, uh, you give a five-year-old some kind of toy with a lot of buttons on it, what they're going to do is they're actually going to start poking around on that box. A lot of the times, nothing will happen. But every now and then, you'll poke the box and like a clan will pop out or something. (laughs) So, this analogy is for your life. So, if you go out and just try different shit, who knows when you press some kind of button, a clown might pop out, um, which is analogous to something different and good that might happen to you. That also sounds a bit <laughs> sexual as well. Oh, if you push mate, the right I buttons what, and- I don't know what <laughs> kind of pops sexual out. stuff you're into, mate. <laughs> clown. You and your clown porn. It was, it, was, it was more of an analogy than a specific uh, clown. literal. <laughs> Jesus. But basically, you know, that's that's what the life, the, the, the world that we're living in now, it rewards the people who initiate. The people who follow the rules, they probably were successful 100 years ago, but moving forward, it's not the people who follow the rules that are going to get ahead. It's the people that initiate, try something new, start new projects, and that's all we want to do. We want to poke that box by the guru, Seth Godin. Big Seth. Number four. For me, comes later. <laughs> yep. Everyone's big today, isn't it? Number four for you is the Tao Te Ching. Mate, where did the that feature on your list? Number five. That was number five for you. That was number five for me. Mate, there was uh, there was like eighty different uh, one page little nuggets of wisdom. But so one of the ones I really like was the idea of space. That you know, if you think of glass, uh, it's not the glass that makes the cup, but it's the space inside that allows you to hold water. If you think of you know wood and walls. The walls don't make the room, it's the space inside that makes the house livable. So, I really like that idea of, you know, you need to inject a bit more space into your lives. Everyone's always filling themselves up, filling up your time, filling up your brain with ideas. You need to give yourself a bit more space to allow you to hold a bit more. Yeah, the book, every single sentence is a book in itself. One line I really liked was, those who who know don't talk, those who talk don't know. Oh, yeah. So, we should all strive to be living in the place of silent knowing um, where you don't have to go out and then let everybody know that how much you know. Mm. It's the people who don't have to go out and then brag about all this stuff are the ones who are actually good at, at something. So, mm. I like that one a lot. Another one I liked, it says, he who stands on tiptoe doesn't stand firmly. He who rushes ahead cannot go far. 
it sort of contradicts a bit of the personal development, taking action sort of things. But he's just saying that if you try to rush to get happy or you try to rush to get, get rich quick, you probably won't get there in the end because rushing ahead, you can't go far. You can't complete a marathon by sprinting the whole way. So he's just sort of saying shift from that expectation of always wanting more and always wanting it right now. Shift to the appreciation of what you've got now rather than constantly stretching and striving. Yeah. It's a bit of a, a, a false dichotomy. I think I used that word right. Yeah. Did I? But uh, we'll it's see. the idea of... We'll, <laughs> we'll see what you're about right to now. say. <laughs> Where... Um, it's the idea of like hyper intention. If you really, really, really want something, then you are probably less likely to get it. Whereas if you actually have some kind of trust and follow the Tao and don't try too hard and kind of have trust in what you're meant to be doing, whatever your Tao might be, then you're more likely to get it. So that might involve not working as hard. I don't think mm. I use that word probably. No, I was about to, I was going <laughs> to. But it sounded good what you said, but it's definitely not a false dichotomy. It's probably counterintuitive. It's probably a bit closer to what you were. It's definitely not a false dichotomy. It's definitely though. not a false dichotomy. <laughs> no, nah, nah, false dichotomy is saying you can only have this or the other. Yeah. But no, nah, it, was, it was a false dichotomy in my head. Now I started speaking. It, it molded. Yeah. It molded into, a, into the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Number good, book, th- good book. It was a good book though. So number three for me is The Black Swan. By Nassim Taleb. Mate, I had this back at number eight, I think, but it was a good book, no doubt about it. Now, this idea of the black swan, uh, it's all about a simple analogy. It's the idea that before the discovery of Australia, all the previous information, the whole world about swans was they were all white. So, everyone just believed, of course, swans are white. There's no other reason to believe anything else. But then they discovered Australia and all of a sudden, there was one black swan. So, all it took was one black swan, one thing that contradicted all the previous data to throw everything up on its head. Mm. The book was a lot about randomness and that the idea that, you know, if we think that the Australian property market doubles every seven <laughs> to 10 years and then one day a black swan could come and just knock it all out, that day could come soon. Or if you think of like the <laughs> stock market crash... Any stock market crash, you know, the Great Depression, the GFC, they're all completely random things because everyone was just expecting it to keep going up at this constant rate and then out of nowhere, something completely unexpected and random comes along and wipes it all out. So, they're very low probability but high impact events. Mm. So, if you ask someone today, what is the most impactful things in the world? It's something like the laser and the internet and so forth. But if you ask someone 30 years ago, what are going to be the, the most impactful things in 30 years' time? There's no way they could come up with these three things. Mm. These three things are black swan kind of events. They're highly impactful and low probability. So, there's no way you could predict what was coming. And this is the whole idea of black swans. They are actually the things that run the world at the cultural level, but also the individual personal level as well. It's these unexpected things that come into your life that have the biggest impact. And it's because of this you can actually utilize black swan dynamics to have a big benefit for yourself. Yeah, you can't predict exactly what's going to happen. It is pretty much the definition of black swans. They're unpredictable, but you can expose yourself to more randomness and try and court more randomness in your life. So, rather than trying to pick a specific black swan, just open yourself to a whole range of potential black swans um, rather than just thinking, oh, everything's just going to remain the same. I'm going to focus on this one area, just court a bit more randomness. Yeah, it's all about positive serendipity and going out and collecting free lottery tickets, pursuing things that have no downside but unlimited upside, 
Uh, who knows? One of those whole bunch of things that are free lottery tickets might actually start paying off down the track because the world is inherently a lot more unpredictable than we like to think. Nice, mate. Number three for me was Presuasion by Robert Cialdini. So, his first book 30 years ago was called Influence and that was all about the six things that go into your message to make people uh, believe it more, you know, the psychology of persuasion. So, that was all about the content but persuasion is about the context. It's the things that happen before you even hear the message. So, he talks about things in the environment, things that you see without even realizing it. So, it's just and it's just sort of how you set up the message before you actually deliver the message. So, yeah, Robert Cialdini, man, he's the godfather of persuasion and persuasion now. Uh, we were very lucky to speak to him on the podcast. I mean, it's one of those one of those things where he's dedicated his whole entire life to one thing and that's persuasion and persuasion and it's something you can access through the book for, you know, 25 bucks and mm. get such an ROI and he really brings the books together through three different stages of the whole uh, persuasion, uh, persuasion. Yeah, so he sets us up with a whole bunch of things about how to command attention, how to magnify attention but then he ties together both of his books into this one sick page, like just this page alone is worth uh, an enormous amount. So, firstly, he says the first stage, the main goal is to cultivate a positive association. So, whenever you're about to try and persuade someone, first things first, you need to cultivate a positive association. So, he says the two things from influence that you need here are liking. So, you need to obviously like the person. And the next thing is reciprocity. So, he says, you know, by doing somebody a small favor, they're going to feel obliged to reciprocate that. Yeah, if you give them a small, a small gift or reciprocity is the idea if you're at the bar and if you buy someone a beer unconsciously there's this weird thing where the rest of the night you feel like you have to pay them back mm. no gift is completely free uh, there's always reciprocity in everything we do and every gift we have yeah bang on so the second stage after we've got that positive relationship the second stage we need to reduce uncertainty and the two things we need to do there are social proof and authority so, social proof, man, if you see, if say if you've got a business and you get a referral from somebody, you've already got immediately give trust to the other person just because it's a referral of a friend or uh, through an authority. Um, it's something where we've irrationally give a lot of uh, credibility to what an authority says more than other people. So, they, it's these simple things that reduce the uncertainty about somebody or a business or some kind of product before we go and purchase. Mm, certain things like a scientist wearing a lab coat or a, a, a you know a businessman wearing a suit and tie, they give that perceived authority that make you feel more comfortable and reduce that uncertainty around that person. Mate, or social proof might be if uh, two dudes doing a podcast ask people to submit questions and then they hear that a couple of people have submitted questions and uh, other people feel like, yeah, this is the right thing to do and they do a bit more. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Whatyourlearn.com slash question. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Mate, well, put, put it on the flip side. If one person submitted a question and then we only released yeah. one, like, no just think about... Oh, listen, yeah. Think that's, about a, if, that's a backfire. If you, if you realize no one's doing it, mm. no one does this kind of thing, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, very true. Because that's what we do. When there's uncertainty, we look to what other people are doing as a bit of a guide. That's social proof. A good little test. If you're walking down a bridge um, and you're with someone, just stop there and point toward the sky and... The third or fourth person might do it. By the time you've got eight different people, they're all looking up in the sky and just stopping there and standing. Yeah. 
yeah, everyone's looking to what the hell is it, all these other people around me doing? I, I don't like know it. where that came from in the brain, but anyway. it was in the it was in the book. It was in the was book. It? Okay, saying go. if one person was looking up, people probably won't. But if you get four people to look up, then passerbyers would would do it as well because that's social proof, mate. The third stage. So first thing we had that positive association. Second, we reduce uncertainty, and the third stage is we've got to motivate action. And he says the two things to motivate action to get someone to do something is consistency and scarcity. So consistency being, you know, they've made some kind of small commitment. Now, you know, be consistent with your past actions. And then scarcity being obviously it's a time restriction that you've got to do it right now or you're going to run out. Yep, five left, uh, limited time sale, all that kind of stuff. The things that everybody's using anyway, uh, it's through books that you can actually be more conscious of that uh, where you can not be manipulated yourself or use it for your own benefit if you're a Machiavellian ash token. <laughs> That's it, mate. That's how we do it. So, Scarcity, we've only got three days until uh, we do our next Q&A episode, so get those questions in right now. <laughs> Actually, it works. <laughs> so, my, my number two is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah Harari. Mate, great book, man. Great book. The, um, his first book, Sapiens, was all about the last 400,000 years or whatever, or be, even beyond that. Um, Homo Deus was about the future, uh, but then 21 Lessons for the 21st Century is about right now. It's the next 100 years. I really like chapter one, and he says that humans think in stories rather than facts, numbers, or equations. Now, if you think about the 20th century, we actually had three different stories we could all pick from at the cultural level. You know, One was the idea of communism, another idea was the idea of fascism, and the other idea was the one of the liberal story and capitalism. And the communist story and the fascist story got Nick, uh, knocked for, hit for six. If you think about Stalin, if you think about Hitler, that just simply didn't work at all. So what we were left right now is the liberal story, which is capitalism. And this is what we hold on to today. But right now, interestingly enough, uh, because of some of the issues of you know a, a system that requires exponential growth with a a world that has limited resources that's one thing another is linked to that is like global warming and another to that is the the 2008 uh, financial crisis a lot more people are getting disillusioned by the story of capitalism so it's this idea that we don't really have a new story to come through and for everyone to buy into so what everyone has right now is a lot of disillusionment about where they are right now in the world mm. Very true, mate. And what's the story that they need to tell themselves? That's where he's saying there's this this void, yeah, where we've had a couple of stories. We had three stories, then we're down to two stories. We're down to one story. He says if this one falls over, we've sort of got no overarching story left that's going to guide us. So and that's the most terrifying thing. Yeah, we're sort of uh, it's a it's a there's no answer in this in this book, but a hell of a lot of things to think about. So that's just one chapter, man. And and you know, liberalism has no obvious answers to so the biggest problems we face in the world right now whether it be the ecological challenge, whether it be nuclear war, whether it be artificial intelligence and so forth. Mm. Mate, one chapter I liked was the chapter on immigration. Uh, I myself, I'd say I'm very personally uh, disengaged and disillusioned by politics and stuff. So I wouldn't say that I'm, uh, I don't know, pick a side either way because, you know, if, if you think of like getting to yes, there's either two strong positions. There's either, oh, let's build a wall, they're taking our jobs, let's not let anybody in. Or the opposite side is let's let everybody in. You know, we should be open borders. Everybody should be able to come and go. So it seems like neither of those two extremes are the correct answer. So what Yuval does is he just presents three simple terms, like three objective things, and then there's four debates as into to what degree 
do we have to abide by those three simple terms? So I think it's it's sort of like the objective, you know, option from getting to yes in that it's just a way to talk about it. It's not just it's either one extreme or the other extreme. Here's the objective criteria to actually debate and discuss immigration. So I found that a really uh, interesting way to actually engage with the topic rather than just have to pick one of either two extremes. Mate, he's the most insightful person I've ever read. What about Robert Greene? Well, insightful is probably a bit different too. Okay. Robert Greene gets a baseball bat and smacks you over the head. <laughs> it's a different style. Uh, Yuval has just got serious insight. Which gets the bat and smacks you over the head, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Especially toward the end of the book, right? Um, if you haven't read this book, it, it really is absolutely phenomenal. Yuval Noah Harari is a genius. All his books. I like it. Man, I had this as my number nine. It was a bit of a Harry Potter effect for me, but um, we'll, we'll thrash that out it's later. a stinky decision. <laughs> Mate, my number two, which I think was your number four, is How to Win Friends and Influence People. By Big Bad Dale Carnegie. Mate, this was actually the very first book I ever read in terms of, you know, not counting reading books for school or reading kids' books. This is the first book where I decided I'm going to start reading books. I read this bad boy and it was my number one for like the first year and a half, I'd say, because uh, I thought it was a great book. Yeah, it definitely, I think the overarching principle in this is to actually start listening to people. Mm. I mean, most of the time, we're all just thinking about what we're going to say next. This book will be the first one that changes the whole paradigm to actually really empathetic, empathetically think about what the other person is important for them and then just speak about what's important for them and you'll end up being the biggest, com- the best conversationalist even though you're speaking a very small portion of the time. Yeah, definitely. There's a couple of sick quotes, one being like, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. So, it just goes to what you say, mate. It's not it's not all about us. We've got to realize that most people like to talk about themselves. Most people are interested in themselves. So, the person who can reduce some of their own ego and think about other people is probably going to have a lot more friends and influence a lot more people. Yeah, and it has to be really authentic. So, mm. if you can really, every single person you come across, if you think about something that they're interested in that you genuinely are as well and that's something that you appreciate about them. If you just double down on that the whole time, you keep um, asking them the questions and letting them feel important and then you're going to win friends and influence people. Yeah, definitely, man. (laughs) I know we both sort of talked about uh, either on-air or off-air about how if you take this to the absolute extreme, you probably go towards the little bitch territory of never talking about yourself and then just mm-hmm. asking them lots of questions. But So, I think it's good to shift more towards this because I think our nature is to be completely opposed to this idea and just talk about it all ourselves. So, we need to inject a bit of this. Probably don't go 100% Dale Carnegie, but you need to find the right balance. Yeah. The, the default, if you move away from the default of just thinking about what you're going to say next, that's a huge step. But this can come at the cost of assertiveness which is, I guess, we learn from Robert Greene's books. If you just don't state your own position on the world, then you're probably losing something. So, it's it's taking the best from uh, from all different kind of books and then bringing it into your life in different ways. Yeah, definitely. Mate, we're up to – that's our 10 through 2. We won't rattle off our our individual list. You can check those out in the, in the show notes or on the website. Before we get into this, mate, let's pour another. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be too heavy. Yeah. <laughs> be cool. Cheers. 
We're back on. I think we've timed it well. We're up to number seven now. Normally we're a bit more sloshed. So this is a, this is a good amount. Good. Number so, one, mate. For both of us. This is the only book we agreed on in terms of our exact ranking. Laws of Human Nature. Big bad Robert Green. I think this is, this is my number one for the season. It's my number one overall. And I've got a feeling it's probably going to stay number one for a fair time. Yeah, forever, I think. I think it's, we were both saying off air before that it's going to be hard for anyone to write a book as good as this one ever again, I think. Yeah. He's, um, what he's done is he looked at all of human nature, picked out 18 laws as to what guides our behavior. And what it sort of does is, firstly, you need to recognize that this happens within yourself. Secondly, you can use that to start to modify your behavior to become better. And then thirdly, you can use it to notice this in others and then you know, use that... Uh, Use that accordingly. Yeah, it really tear tear you apart in every chapter in some kind of way, which can be really terrifying. Man, I reckon I've read this. When you read this, probably six to eight weeks ago. Now, I'm, it was a good three to four weeks of knocked up trying to pick up the pieces. Still, it's a fair destruction of character. Yeah, absolutely, man. And number one of them, which really hit me, was this idea of confront your dark side, and it's this idea that we all have a shadow self. And right now, we've all crafted a certain public persona that really accentuates our strength and conceals your weaknesses. But right, right at the de- at the bottom, most of us have really repressed this less sociably acceptable traits that we really naturally possess when we were much younger. So we pay a seriously great price for being so nice and deferential than for consciously showing your shadow this dark side that we all have. Hmm. Mate, there's a basically we all have all this fucked up shit deep down that we either think but we generally don't act upon. Like say for example, people talk about, you know, Steve Jobs, he was this great entrepreneur, but he was this awful boss. He was not good with people, he's really annoying, but and they think if if you could just take the best bits of his entrepreneurial leave aside that he was a bad people manager, you'd be awesome. But what Robert Greene suggests is that he was awesome because he he let that dark side out. He didn't just you know, treat everybody nicely. He let a bit of dark side out, had a bit of shadow, and by incorporating both the dark side into his normal personality, made him better. So if you try to cut out the dark side, you're not going to succeed. It comes out the the real cost of assertiveness. If you think about the most effective people that you really come across in life, they've got this element to them that they can't be fucked with, really. Yeah. yeah. Right. So if someone doesn't have this this shadow dark side with them, they're going to be just flop flip flopping around being all nice and, and so forth. Now, I think this was our early criticism of uh, how to win friends and influence people. It does really bring out that very nice mm. side to you. But every now and then, you need to have this part of you that can really rip someone apart and destroy people. Because if you think about how we evolved, we were actually people, really murderers and killers. And yeah. deep down, we had this element inside us. And if someone goes against some kind of uh, higher value that you hold or something, you need to every now and then stand up for what you believe and stand up for yourself. Mm, he talks about like the fucked up things we think about. Like say if you're walking along the, the edge of a cliff or a bridge, just in the back of the mind, a random thought will pop in where you think, I could just push this person off this bridge right now. It's just a fucked up thing that you think is a, a weird thing to think, but everybody's got it. And he's saying that that's a bit of the dark side wanting to come out. Now, probably don't push them off the bridge, but find a way to instead channel that energy, that dark side, that shadow into something productive. Before this book, man, I like it's, it's something I just I really did suppress. If that thought came up in my head, I just like think nothing of it and move on. But after reading this book, you realise that a lot of us have these these weird tendencies, and this is a good bridge into another one, which is 
another chapter in the book, which is Beware the Fragile Ego, which is the law of envy. And this emotion of envy, it's the most painful emotion of them all because with envy, we get to admit someone else is superior to you Mm. in another kind of way. And, you know, we don't want, because we're going around judging ourselves compared to everyone else in the world, we don't really want to admit someone else is more superior. So, what we do is we uh, transmute that envy into some kind of hostility, Mm. whether it would be behind the back, you might start gossiping about them or to their face, you might becoming on a hostile, but we'll never admit to envy. Um, It was... Uh, interesting enough to realize since reading this book, there is envy that pops up in me a lot and it probably pops up in every single person in some kind of way. Oh, not probably, definitely. It's a very common uh, emotion. It's something we can't control that we are envious of other people's success and this is a tough one, man. It guides a lot of our behavior, it guides a lot of our thoughts. What he says to counteract that, a few things we can do. He says you can move closer to what you envy. So, if you think, you know, oh, this this guy's got the perfect life or you know, this is the perfect couple. If you move closer, you might start to see that it's not quite the perfect image that you've painted in your own head. Or he says that a different way is to think, transmute that envy into emulation. So, rather than saying, oh, this person achieved success, he probably got lucky. Rather than just thinking of or being that envy attack, think, how can I do what she did to copy what they did and emulate that success? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it takes a, a big person to be able to move into the people they actually deep down envy because surrounding yourself with people who are better than you, you're probably going to learn better skills and be able to emulate what they do much better. If you just fall into the envy trap, you're probably just going to gossip those people who are doing better things than you in the world and not be anywhere near around them and be able to benefit from them in any other way. Mate, my favorite chapter was uh, something, I forget the exact title, something on the lines of influencing people or persuading people. But Classic you, mate. <laughs> classic me, mate. But really what it was, it was talking about how you need to confirm the other person's self-opinion. And what he says is that we've all got these things that we think of ourselves. Whether it's true or not, we all think it. And I thought it was, uh, it was wildly accurate that there was three specific things that every single person thinks about themselves. The first is that they're an independent thinker and they're acting out of free will. They're not, you know, they're not uh, a slave to anybody else's thoughts and desires. They're independent and acting out of free will. The second is that we're all intelligent in our own way. If we're not book smart, we realize, oh, hey, we're really good at working with our hands. Whatever it is, we're really intelligent in our own way. And the third is that we're a generally, genuinely good person. So, you know, whatever happens, there's some reason that there was a bit of good. You know, if we if we tell a mate he's a dickhead, it was for their own best interest. You know, we're doing a good thing for them. So, those three things, being independent, being intelligent, and being a good person, that's what we all think about ourselves. And the, the idea of confirming someone else's self-opinion, they're going to let their guard down a little bit and let you in so you can have some kind of connection. If you go against what their self-opinion might be, they'll have a big barrier to who you are and you won't be able to connect on, on mm. any kind of level. If something you do, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, goes against any of those three things, like if you do something that makes the other person feel that you think they're not intelligent, barriers go straight up. So, that's why you need to confirm that self-opinion first to be able to get in there a bit closer. So, that's three you can do every single person you ever come across in the world. Then you've got individual ones that you might get person by person. I mean, for me and you, mate, we realize only on the episode we got slapped up by each other a bit. For you, you go around thinking you're a uh, fucking... (laughs) 
Machiavellian, the, the power, Machiavellian master. power master going out being all manipulative and, and you are always got this big grin on your face like you think <laughs> you're getting away with it. And I, I caught you out and then yeah, that was a good one. Since then you've you know, you you can tell you've realized it. <laughs> you've changed. <laughs> and maybe we said we said in the episode your one was a uh the you're the uh, the eco warrior, the greenie that's, you know, saving the planet. Which I don't think is untrue, but uh you probably use that to justify other behaviours is now nah, I've got a, yeah. this bigger picture that I'm working towards. Mate, oh, we, had a, mate. We, had, we had an off-air uh, attack session as well. That we did. What was a human nature attack session? Yeah, a, mate. That and that, 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 I think that for me, which I learned, is that leads to me to be really judgmental of people who aren't, mm. have that similar kind of, you know, intense with what they want to do with their time, mm. which is just uh, not a good thing. And it's <laughs> this is what the, there's huge value in this book. Massive. In every one of the 18 laws, you'll read it. And you'll find about about yourself and your own flaws that you never knew you had, mm. and it can really be it can really bring you to pieces. Yeah, great book, man. Was there anything else from uh, the laws of human nature you want to talk about? No, that was a- mate. What a bloody powerful book! As I said, number one for the season, number one overall, and probably number one for a bloody long time. Yeah, on every measure, both our rating scales. Yeah, great book, man. Full ten out of ten. It's a long one. It's a six hundred pager. It's not an easy read. But I think it's worthwhile in the end. Yep. So that's it, man, for the season. It's been a year of uh, good books. For mm. those three I had, Black Swan, 21 Lessons and Laws of Human Nature, man, they're straight to the, the top for me. Yeah. Alongside Alan Carr's books, uh, the smoking and alcohol one. And we're going to be doing the alcohol one. Yeah, that's it. So a bit of a, a rough look ahead. We never really know what we're doing, but a rough idea that we're going to do this Q&A episode uh, in, a, in a couple of days. So, if you've got any questions, head to whatyouallearn.com slash question. If you've already submitted a question uh, and you didn't hear it today, we're going to get to it in that standalone episode. And then we're also going to do, as you said, mate, Alan Carr. 12 months ago, we did Alan Carr, The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. Now, we're going to do Alan Carr's, uh, what, what's it called? Control Your Alcohol. Easy Way to Control Your Alcohol. Mate, it's a contradiction after drinking these uh, eight uh, Bundy Rum and Cokes. It's probably time to read How to Control Your Alcohol. <laughs> Classy, mate. <laughs> I didn't want to mention Bundy. Embarrassing. It's like a very 16-year-old, isn't it? Yeah, it's real bogan Australian sort yeah, it's of. it's quite embarrassing. Queenslander. Yeah. But we're going to do that. We've got a bunch of uh, interviews coming up in January. What are some of the other books we're doing? The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. Oh, yes, yeah, a ripper. I've already read a, that one. A book on AI. Artificial Intelligence. We've got some sick books coming up. We've got uh, the, M- the, um, the MBA one. Which Personal MBA. Personal MBA. Seth Godin's new book, This Is Marketing. Uh, we're interviewed The Property Couch. From Australia, so they'll be getting on the episode. We've interviewed Dr. John D. Martini. Round two with Dr. Carl. And round two with Dr. Carl. A bloody legend. So all very interesting in their in their own different ways. So it's gonna be a uh, a huge year, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And Yeah, all the best uh, for the last couple of days of twenty eighteen and uh and Merry for Christmas and for a few days you know, <laughs> Happy New Year. Should we sing it? Sing a song. Fuck. Apologies for everybody. Um, Back by popular demand. One of the biggest things we hear from most of our feedback is how much everyone hated the song. But when I think it gets, a lot when, of people think we still do it. They're like, "Stop doing the song." We stopped, I think everyone stopped a long time. Ago. <laughs> everyone who says, "Yeah, stop doing the song," but I think they just automatically, when there's four minutes to go, they, they just, just skip. They just skip the whole episode. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, one of the things we always review in books is listen to what your customers and what people to feedback. 
But when your eight drinks down <laughs> and you love singing, you just sing songs, don't you? Party time. South Melbourne Ballet. Hey, yeah. Welcome back to the Black We just did two hits of the song. And both of them just did not work. <laughs> I think there's a reason why this song's up. We tried to record. And we listened to one back. We had a, we had two attempts at it. We thought, look, we're a bit rusty, but they're probably all right. Um, I think we're- <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to Timbo, uh, but that song was shit out. So yeah. I think that's sort of why we... So yeah, it. back to uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the year. Um, Man, we're not going to... We're not going to waste the last 15 minutes. We're not going to put that song back up. <laughs> I think we're just in, it's pretty thin walls for the next door neighbor as well. Mate, we don't want that bloke coming back. We don't want that bloke coming back. Oh, fuck. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.